One, two, three, four. Hello, and welcome back to another edition of Laying on the Table, the Southern Board Game Podcast with the accent on Southern. Wow, I'm so glad I nailed that this week because I am your host, one of your hosts anyway, Joe Mahaffey. And of course, I am joined by my good friend, James Englehart. Good to be back, Joe. Hey, James. And I was I was excited to you've I mean, you've nailed this thing. Bam, 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 bam. It's good. It's I'm good. just you keeping, got this, man. I'm keeping it written in front of me. I think that's I think oh, that is the key. And all of these things is just, you know, I know a skill is developed by repetition, but um, yeah. There we go. We're just going to keep it up on front of our face while yep. we do this. Well, uh, obviously, it's been a while since we've been together because we took um, Memorial Day weekend off. And I've got some things in the show notes a little bit later uh, to talk about. But gosh, I am really excited to be here in June because we have been anticipating and waiting for this day to get here. Because, folks, let me tell you, um, in the year plus that we've been doing this podcast, our dream when we started this was not only to talk about board games and we really wanted to have some interesting guests and absolutely up until this point, we've had some really uh, great guests come on here and talk to us from, you know, Nate Bivens in the very beginning. We've talked to Christina Stiles. Uh, we talked to um, Megan Connell was awesome. Megan, Con uh, Megan Connell. We talked to uh, Richard Fortuna. And yes. of course we caught, we've talked to professor dungeon master. And last time we were together, we had the opportunity to speak with uh, Linda Cadega. Well, yes. Today. An amazing. Yes. Well, go ahead and finish that thought. I'm, no, uh, <laughs> no an, an amazing creator and uh, author and and uh, journalist. It, a lot of stuff, a lot of really good stuff to, about the D and D and OGL. But today, yes. Yeah. Today yes. is today is where the thing sort of becomes full circle because James and I have talked a lot about from the very beginning about how Wingspan brought us. Uh, sort of back into each other's lives and kind of said it brought in, us together, Joe. Yeah. That it did, and I'm I'm very <laughs> I'm very grateful. I'm I'm happy to have you in my life. Um, and uh, so uh, a few weeks, a few months back, uh, I had reached out to Jamie Stegmeyer of Stonemeyer Games and invited him to come on the podcast, and we were able to finally work it out. So uh, James and I actually had the opportunity to speak with him yesterday afternoon, and so what mm -hmm. we're going to do now is I want to introduce that interview, and then we'll come back and do the rest of the show. So we're going to head on over to the interview with Jamie Stegmeyer from Stonemeyer Games. So welcome to the program, Jamie Stegmeyer of Stonemeyer Games. Jamie, it's so nice to talk to you today. Yeah, thank you so much for the invitation. Well, so James and I have been doing this podcast for, gosh, a little over a year, and... Um, you know, there's a bit of an origin story between the two of us and uh, Wingspan, because although James and I went to college together over 30 years ago at Wofford College, a very small liberal arts college in Spartanburg, South Carolina, we hadn't seen each other in about 30 years. And I, my wife and I fell in love with Wingspan just prior to the pandemic, and I was very active in some of the Facebook boards, and I made a comment, and all of a sudden I get this message, Joe, is that you? And it was James. And so we have been uh, back in each other's lives and gaming, not only from a and d, d perspective, but a board game perspective for gosh, going on two and a half, three years. And we started this podcast a year ago. And so I, we were just so delighted when you agreed to come on our program. So thank you so much. 
Well, I, I love hearing when games connect people in that way. So thank you for sharing that origin story. Yeah, that's that's really great. So we have a number of things that we wanted to kind of get into. Um, mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm going to just, I'm going to avoid the, the whole issue of sounding like a fanboy because I'm going to just say this one time. Uh, <laughs> I just want to know, want you to know how much I appreciate you and your organization because my wife and I, as our kids got out of the house, we rediscovered board gaming just before the pandemic. And if it wasn't for some of your mini games, uh, Wingspan, uh, Viticulture, Tapestry, I could just keep going on. Uh, we probably would not have had the interaction that we did. So I just want to thank you mm-hmm. for that. So so that that does kind of lead me into, though, just sort of the, the how people get really uh, passionately into board gaming. And um, I'd love to kind of know how you found your way from an enthusiast to a publisher. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, because I have, I was involved with games just as a kid, like designing games, playing games, but I never thought even as a kid that I would, A, have a game that was published or that I would be a publisher myself. And so it wasn't until, really until Kickstarter became a thing. I, I was just absolutely enamored by Kickstarter when they when they launched for the few years that followed when I started to see board game projects show up on it. I, I, I loved everything about the idea, in particular the idea that I could engage directly with people who were excited about something that I was creating and vice versa, because I backed a bunch of projects and I was engaging directly with creators. That was really exciting for me. And mm-hmm. so I thought I would take this passion of mine for designing games and combine it with this curiosity for, for Kickstarter. Um, that's when I launched Viticulture back in 2012. Yeah. Do you guys remember your first your first project? Have you? I assume you've backed some Kickstarter crowdfunding projects. Was there one that got you hooked for the first time? I might yeah, need it was I. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. awesome. I might need a twelve-step program for the number of Kickstarters <laughs> that I have. Yeah. Uh, I'm a I'm a real late bloomer in that regard, but I have uh, uh-huh. unfortunately I I have backed many. Uh, I'm I'm like a early backer or whatever they call them now, but yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. But but I I missed all the Kickstarters as it related to Stonemeyer games because uh, mm-hmm. by the time I really got deep into the hobby, I was uh, I had the opportunity to become a champion and get access that way. Yeah. And I'm still like, I, I miss the feel of those Kickstarter campaigns. I like the way that we do it now a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, but the big difference now is that we typically, we, we make a product and then we announce it and then we ship it a few weeks later. Like it's a, it's a truncated anticipation gap. Um, I love that. So I, though. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm, um, I think it's a, for me, it's a better way I think to serve our audience, our champions, our non-champions, anyone who wants our game. I think it's a great way to serve them. Not a, I wouldn't say better, a different way. Um, but I do miss that excitement around a Kickstarter campaign. So I try to emulate it. I can never quite capture that same feeling, but I, I try sometimes. Or I try all the time. I don't know if I, I achieve it all the time. <laughs> yeah. No, there's a lot. There's a lot of uh, just chatter and foment and all kinds of stuff that happens during those. Um, and yeah. then then there's also, uh, you posted at one point, it's the, the click it, forget it kind of thing. Like, okay, now I'm just going to wait for six months or a year. And all of a sudden this gift appears in my backyard and it's, woohoo, I yeah. almost even forgotten about it. So, but I do, I like the, I do like the sense that, and I saw this as a, one of your top 10 lists of how to succeed was to, you know, start the Kickstarter as far along in the design process and then fulfill as quickly as possible. And I've, I've always admired uh, companies that do that. So that makes yeah, a lot of I'm glad you. I'm glad you noticed that. Yeah, that's that's been on my mind a lot recently because I've seen more and more creators launch when the game is still like it looks fancy. It looks they almost make it look complete, but they and they're they're transparent about it, saying like they have they haven't finished the design yet. 
But that to me is like so much like I've worked on. I'm working on a game right now that I spent six years on mm-hmm. and I thought I would have finished it a couple of years ago. I don't want to put that risk on someone else. Like that's my <laughs> job to finish the design before I put it out there for other people. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that because I, you know, I, I weekly in, or I weekly I anticipate the monthly champions update and I love the graphic that you have in there. I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a, I have a project management background. And so I love uh-huh. just to sort of see the workflow and the life cycle of where things are and when when a name goes from a code name to an actual name and and just sort of following that through the process. That's very helpful because, I mean, you know, you know, as we've experienced on the Kickstarter side, you know, the pandemic and the whole supply chain and, and just sort of availability of manufacturing in China has just really put a damper on a lot of the, 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 the life cycle, if you will, of creating a Kickstarter game. How, how has that impacted some of the projects you guys have been working on? Yeah, so we work with Panda Game Manufacturing, and, and honestly, I'm—I mean, we—we at Summer Games, we're in a bit of a privileged position with Panda because we're a major client of theirs. I know they try to treat everyone as equitably as possible, all their different clients, but I think we do get a little bit of priority sometimes. When we when we do a reprint of twenty five thousand copies of Wingspan, it's pretty easy for them to to get that into the into the their production cycle pretty quickly. Well, you've already moved a million copies of it at least, so I could see why they would want to respond, yeah. Yeah, and they've done the same thing with like Pandemic. They were the major producer for Pandemic for a while. They, oh, they're see. able to pump through copies of Pandemic. And so I haven't seen it impact us all that much beyond maybe a few weeks here and there, additional time. Uh, uh, most of it was on freight shipping for a while, where we saw freight shipping take mm-hmm. a lot longer and be a lot more expensive mm-hmm. than it was pre-pandemic. But recently, it's actually gotten a lot better. Uh, yeah, the prices have dropped, the, the the freight shipping times has dropped. So those lead times have gone down where that was a big problem for a while. Oh, that makes a ton of sense. And and I and so did when you, I, I know we're kind of jumping around here and I know James has got some questions that he wants to inject into this, but when I think about some of the games that you've put out and, you know, the ones that you're involved in designing and then, you, then along comes somebody like Elizabeth Hargraves, how do you... Um, kind of onboard a new designer in, in sort of that kind of process. Cause I'm, I, I'm not really, and maybe this is just ignorance on my part. I'm not really sure that you have another designer in your ecosystem that's quite like her in that, in that regard. Yeah. I mean, I, I've worked with some pretty talented designers. Elizabeth, I think is probably the most successful of all of them at this point, but we also have worked with the design pair of Ben, um, Ben Ross and Matthew O'Malley. They did our between two games. Okay. Um, they're probably the most famous right now for search for planet X. Mm-hmm. Game has done very well for another company. They they right. they bounce around a lot between different companies. As is Elizabeth. I, I yeah, like no, hundred percent. Um, but uh, like our general process for for onboarding um, and getting a, a designer in into our ecosystem is if they submit a game to us, that's the start of it. They submit a game to us. My co-founder Alan reviews all the submissions and decides which ones we want to actually bring to the table and play test ourselves to see if it's a good fit. And then often there's a a little bit of a, a a gap of time where I am sending feedback to the designer almost just to see how they respond to feedback mm-hmm. because just as much, just as important as the game is, I want to make sure there's someone that I can work with that they'll accept some feedback or be willing to try some of it, but also mm-hmm. push back and be like, no, Jamie, I already tried that. It didn't work with this group or didn't work for this reason. I want both. I want the yeses and the noes. And once we get past that point, we, we officially sign the game. We, we get a contract, we give them in advance, and then I continue that development cycle until, um, through blind play testing and, and until we were ready to enter production. It's That's a very bare bones overview, but yeah. Go ahead, well, I, I was a, I was a, a book editor or publisher for um, 15 years. And so it's a very similar kind of process, right? You've got somebody who's yeah. um, 
sort of the wide wide mouth of the funnel. It keeps going. And then, as I told other authors too many times, um, it's a marriage. You're going to be together for years. If you can't work with each other, you know, get out now. It's it's just better for everybody concerned. And that ability to handle feedback, yeah, that's 100%. That's, that's a lot of people that's easy to walk away from. Just say, yeah, no, you'll find a home for your book, your game, whatever. That's great. But, yeah. Well, and just, sense. and just sort of staying in that line, I, I don't want to spend the whole time talking about Wingspan because we'll be here all day if I do that. But I, <laughs> but I am curious about a couple of things because, you know, James and I talk about this game a lot on the show uh, for no other reason than we both love it and we both play it. But one of the reasons that we've that we've liked it and we've talked about it is that, number one, it's a great gateway game that has this theme that makes it accessible to a much broader audience. In fact, my wife and I teach this game all the time. It's been on our table for the last week just because we wanted to go back to it. But it's also a game that we love because you don't have to be mean to each other to win. And that's a that's a big core component of the way that my wife and I play games. So I'm, I'm just kind of curious, uh, when you when you first encountered this game as a concept, did you have any idea that it was going to be so explosive as it has been from from that that perspective of bringing new people into the hobby? No. Uh, yeah. Uh there were there were a lot of things I didn't know about Wingspan going into it. Even the very first version of it I saw was of it was a very simple card game. It, it didn't have a lot of the mechanisms like the player mat, that engine building aspect to it. it. That wasn't there at all. That was something that Elizabeth and I worked to add to the game. So especially the first version of the game, I had no idea what it would do later. Um, but it has been one pleasant surprise after another how it's brought people into the hobby, how it really engaged the birding community. I didn't know how robust and active and enthusiastic the birding <laughs> community was. And I think that's that spun off to other news outlets that we haven't usually gotten coverage for. Um, and once that happened, then a lot of people found out about the game. I think there's this beautiful critical mass that certain games hit when, especially the game itself is really welcoming, where it... it People who haven't, who don't normally play games, end up hearing about this game and might be willing to try it when they wouldn't have otherwise. Well, I'll, I'll tell you one story. When uh, right before the pandemic, we had gone to Colorado from North Carolina for a vacation with my in-laws who were in their early 80s, and I packed a, a, a hard shell ATA case full of board games that include included uh, Wingspan and uh, Viticulture and a few others from other publishers, and we were able to teach them wingspan uh very quickly you know and they would never were not board gamers at all and then what was so cool is when we were all over colorado we kept seeing the magpie and it was one of the it's just not a bird you see very often here in the carolinas and so it was just so cool to kind of kind of you know share that experience when we're you know Mm -hmm. out having that kind of trip and then that later for christmas we were able to get one of natalie roja's um, prints and give it to them for Christmas framed as a sort of a remembrance of that whole thing. And so it just was one of those things that keeps on, on giving in that regard. So that, that to me was just sort of cool. That's um, wonderful. Cool. We, we've, I, I'm not going to spoil anything here, but we, we have talked about doing spinoffs of other, uh, species of animals, um, using kind of the, the wingspan <laughs> formula. And one thing that came up in some of those discussions was, well, as we discuss other animals, is that birds are unique in that if you look out any window, you'll probably see a bird out there if you look for a few mm-hmm. minutes. Whereas most, that doesn't apply to most other animals. Like as fascinating as, I won't name the animals here because I'm going to spoil whatever <laughs> animal it is that we're looking <laughs> sure, at. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, for most other animals, you don't have that. So I, I love that birds are just around us all the time that we take for granted sometimes, but they're there. They're there for us to look at and enjoy and, and appreciate. Well, and one of the fun things too is like, I'm thinking about other animals, uh, like you could do insects, 
but some people are deathly afraid of spiders, right? And so, um, right, there's a lot of other kind of um, other things up and down the, um, you know, uh, chain of life there that um, it's, this birds are, there are fewer people who are afraid of birds. I know a couple of people who are like, <laughs> but mostly, but mostly they have enthusiasts like birders and so on who are very much interested. So I'm going to jump back just a second to something that Joe had mentioned about the, uh, the sort of lack of, sort of conflict and head-to-head uh, -head interaction. And I think that's from all of the Stonemeyer games that I've known and played, that's a that's kind of a hallmark. It's kind of a mark that there's there's sort of limited. Um, so and we're uh, our you know part of our tagline is we're the uh, Southern Board Gaming Podcast with the accent on Southern, if I got that right, Joe. Yeah, and um, way better than I so do. We're, <laughs> <laughs> so we we think a lot about region, right? Um, think about our region. I've also lived in the Midwest, um, in Illinois, Nebraska, Ohio, been to uh, St. Louis a couple times. It's a lovely city. Um, so the Midwest gets dismissed as flyover country. South gets dismissed for lots of other things. You grew up in Virginia, I recall. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's right. um, so, and Nick, so you know something about the dismissal of both of them. But do you <laughs> think there's something about this regional identity, um, these experiences that sort of influence the game design, um, also the entrepreneurial philosophy? Um, just feels like there might be stuff there. The customer service is quite nice. So I don't know. Uh, just thought I'd throw that out there. Yeah, no, that's a, I, I don't think I've ever been asked that before. Um, Yay. I, I, bet something, <laughs> I, I bet there was something ingrained there in terms of the customer service for sure. Like right. the way that my parents tried to raise me to be polite and considerate of others. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily due to the region, but it might be, might be somewhat regional. Um, and so, yeah, my my philosophy at Stimar Games is to serve other people. That's that's why I'm here. You you all are the ones playing our games and joining our games. I'm I'm here to serve you. Um, as for the game design, I don't know. It, maybe it is somewhere deep ingrained inside of me. That also might just be me as a gamer. You know, I, I, every gamer is a little bit different in what different in what they prefer mm -hmm. to pursue. There there are some gamers that really love those strong co conflicts and combating games. Uh, those well, I think are of the Kathala and yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yep. Uh, and some of our games have a little bit of that, mm -hmm. but I love, I, like you guys said, I, I, I love in Wingspan that you can really focus on building your own thing, your own little collection of birds, and you can admire what other people are doing. And there are interactions, like I might take a bird mm -hmm. that you, from the center row, that you might have been eyeing, but I'm probably not doing that to hurt you. I'm doing it because I want that bird in my collection. It's hard. It's not efficient to hate draft in right. wingspan um yeah. or hate draft food or something right it's just like no but even like something like scythe and i know i know that there was a little bit of chatter like i thought it was going to be a war game and it's <laughs> clearly not that um and so that was all i, I love that game for that though because you're doing your own little thing and you're pushing people around you're trying to get but it doesn't pay off well to go out fighting right which is what i, I hope would be i mean that's kind of a you know, almost a real world lesson that it rarely pays <laughs> off to go fight somebody else when you could deal with that in different ways or build up your own thing. Yeah. Um, I think the confusing with that with side, a little bit of my mistake here, a little bit maybe art direction from the artist is that the box of side shows a battle, whereas yeah. almost every other illustration in the game shows like idle mechs or mechs doing farming or not fighting. Um, so it's, I, I can see why some people maybe are misled by the cover, but if you flip the box over or look at anything else about the game, you'll know right away this isn't a game about combat. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's a really good point. I mean, it's, you know, we always say you can't judge a book by its cover, and we see a lot of, I think about the number of board games that I have been attracted to just because of the way that it was put together. Uh, recently, we went down a path of uh, obsession over Garden Bow. 
And yeah. I was sucked into not only the the original cover, but also the I wanted the I had to have the wool no wool the wood tiles um, uh-huh. to to really play the game. And uh, and just it's it's amazing how I look at it and I go, oh, my wife Dale, she's gonna like that game. I can tell by the cover; it fits her, you know, um, her motif. And 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 so that's just just part of it and, and 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 it was a struggle for her to get interested in scythe because of the cover that was kind of where i was going mm-hmm. with that and so i can see how that makes a makes a ton of sense there do either of you given that you seem to really enjoy wingspan do you have if you introduce it to someone and they come back to you and say hey i, I love wingspan what's your next recommendation is there a maybe a non stillmeyer game that you recommend to them if you know someone loves wingspan I, I can go easy oh. on that one. I am oh. uh, my my two are, are wingspan and parks. I take people to parks yes. next because it's that same kind of. In fact, I have this I have this thing, and James has heard me say this countless time. I want to do a marathon with wingspan, parks, and Isle of Cats. And the idea is you play Ooh. it like I, like the cats are changing the bir- chasing the birds into the park. So you oh. play this, you play around here, <laughs> you play around here, and you play around here until you uh-huh. get done, and you total up all the scores. I've never done oh, that, yeah. but I want it's, to. It's but Joe's the, version <laughs> of the turducken. Yeah, but those three, <laughs> those three are the ones that uh, that I really pull out the most for new folks, is because you get so much diversity in that. You get the the worker placement in two, and then of course the whole polyominal thing of Isle of Cats, mm-hmm. and just the fun of rescuing cats is is the thing. So those are the three that I typically typically go to. James, how yeah, about I'm you? trying to think of other tableau builders um, with engine stuff, um, but I think. The one that, like my wife and I, go back to all the time is Cascadia, yeah. uh, which is a, a different vibe, um, yeah. but it also has a similar kind of. The mechanisms are super easy. You you know you just put the things down and um, and Beth Sobel and then, artwork. Don't forget about the Beth Sobel artwork. It, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> and it's really nice that way. Uh, but there's a lot of there's a lot of thinking through it. And there's a lot of more tactics than strategy, right? Because like in Wingspan, if the if you you know pin everything on one bird, I don't know what that might be, but you know if you pin like I have to have one of the crows or something, um, it's you don't know what's going to come out, right? So you're always right. responding to the the stuff that's happening. Um, we just picked up Acropolis recently mm-hmm. um, and had a lot of fun playing that and having a similar kind of. This is very simple. The, the rule set is pretty straightforward, but there's a lot of strategy, particularly after the first time you're like, wait a minute, I need to build up, you know, kind of figuring out those sorts of things. So those are two that, yeah, come to mind is that have similar kind of easy to introduce, easy to move people through. Yeah. And I'll, you know, and also these games where you're, you're having to really think through your resources a lot, because I always, I always mm-hmm. like games where you have to think ahead. You can't just play in the current round. I mean, one yeah, of the things we yeah. love about the the wingspan is, um, you know, by the time you finally got everything you need that you can do what you want to do, you only have five plays, uh-huh. and that is so frustrating. Yeah. It's like we want that extra fifth <laughs> round, you know, and and that's you know, so, and we've actually played it before. Where you do a fifth round where there's just no, there's just no end of round goals. You just you get the first four and that's oh, it, right, and you yeah. just play another round and and see how that goes. Just because we didn't want to stop playing. Um, uh-huh. But I think that's one of the beautiful things about an engine building game is that it should stop before the engine just shoots out <laughs> 300 points at you. Yeah, yeah, where it pays off a, a little bit, um, but but not. Uh, yeah, that's a, and that's a tough balancing act I, with Tapestry. Tapestry has the same, same thing. I, it, yep. it really builds up. You have really powerful turns near the end, and then it's over, and you don't you get any more. So it's it's tough to figure out exactly when. And I. With Wingspan, we added that uh, there's a, a no-goal bonus yep. or no-goal tile. Um, 
that uh, that gives you an extra turn effectively, depending on where where it is. Oh, yeah. the four extra turns. Yeah. Yep. Well, it was funny you mentioned Tapestry. I was in, so we we talk a lot about our favorite local game store, Carolina Tabletop Games. Not a sponsor, got to say that. But I was in yes, there. it's local to him, not to me. But yeah. it's local okay. to me, right? I'm in I'm Pineville, which is a suburb of Charlotte. Um, I was in there twice over the weekend, and the owner of the store, Rob Ross, he and his he had his little buddies around, and they were playing uh, marathons of of Tapestry. Uh, it uh-huh. was the game du jour this weekend, which was just a nice surprise. And they were just uh, cool. he had introduced some new people to the game and. One guy was just running away with it, like by 200 points or something. It was crazy. Wow. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a big thing, but it was just kind of fun to to, to see that kind of going on. You know, uh, Jamie, one of the things I love uh, about some of your 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 weekly things on the Facebook and, and sometimes I guess they're on YouTube as well, is how you talk about your favorite mechanics. I learned so much more about other games that we have or should get uh, just kind of watching you. And I, I love that you're so passionate about the industry that you you are so uh, – I'm going to talk about games that are not – Stonemeyer, and yeah. um, and that's just that's I love that about you. But I, I'm just curious of that today. What are what are some of your favorite games that are outside of the Stonemeyer uh, pantheon? <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and yeah, like you said, I, I've learned so much from other designers and publishers. I, I love to share my my favorite things about other games. A few favorites off the top of my head that I am really enjoying giving to the table are I, I always love Quacks and Quinlanburg. I'll always oh yeah. Yep, be excited to get that to the table. I Big love Quacks. Um, Dune Imperium and Ark Nova are maybe mm-hmm. the two longer games that I really enjoy getting to my table right now. And Earth, even of, in the Wingspan world of games, kind of Earth. Yes. The game Earth is a very peaceful game. You know, you, you really have no interaction with other players, but it's really nice to build your own satisfying tableau and build it up. And not just build a tableau of cards, but also put things on those cards so they get better and better. Have you guys played that one yet? It is on not. my it is on my shrink wrapped wall of shame. I got <laughs> it. I got it for my wife for her birthday back in April. But we have a few, that is a problem that we have uh, that we'll get games and we just it's just a struggle to get them out on the table sometimes. Oh yeah, yeah. But we love yeah, Ark Nova. Yeah, Ark Nova is one of those that uh, you know it's almost like a, a and, and James is always going to correct me on this. It's almost like a Vita Lacerda game. Uh, yeah. I always say that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's level of complexity but once you get it and once you kind of dial into it a lot of it you know sometimes to me it's kind of like uh playing some games is a lot like watching shakespeare it takes about 15 to 20 minutes before you get into the rhythm of the language and yeah. once you kind of get into the rhythm of the game we just got the uh the kickstarter arrival of uh darwin's journey and yeah. that one was a significant learning curve but once it clicked it was like okay i'm dialed in now and uh-huh. it was kind of like that same experience with Arc Nova, and uh, once once I kind of conflated it or or aligned it more so with Lost Ruins of Arnak, it just mm. plugged right in. Like, okay, there's multiple ways you can run up scores. There's multiple ways that you can kind of get to the objective. But it just was uh, it was difficult to kind of get through the brain the brain fog there at the beginning. Yeah. And James, did you say you you've seen Earth but haven't played it yet? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And I've heard a lot of comparison of uh, Earth to Wingspan for the same kind of tableau building, uh, firing off different. Yeah. So I, I've been keen to to find that. Track right, that's down. going on the table next. And yeah. you two could probably play together on Board Game Arena, too, if you're still. How, are you separated by a great distance or do you ever get to get together and play games? It's about a, what, an hour and a half, two, two hour, hour two half, plus. Yeah, yeah. It's, he's in Greenville, yeah. South Carolina. I'm in Charlotte, yeah. North Carolina. It depends on traffic. Um, but yeah, yeah, but we're, we're relatively close, but you know, it's funny. Um, I have actually 
stayed away from the board game arena because I mm-hmm. just so enjoyed the tactile experience. Obviously, you know, James yeah. and I are part of a D&D group and we're all kind of dispersed and we do that during doing Zoom, very similar format to this. Uh, but that's obviously a bit different experience. But, uh, you know, we, we generally try to get in touch uh, in person, but hopefully we're going to be able to do that sometime soon because we've got a couple of things on the, the docket that I'm hoping will either take me to Greenville or bring James up here for uh, like a con or so or something like that that we could uh, yeah. get out and do that. I, I got a, a half hour. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, James. Oh, I was going to say uh, we're at uh, half an hour, so I just wanted to point that out. Thank you. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> I, I had the, the same thought about uh, Borgie Marina and digital games, um, and I still do, but during the pandemic, right? When the, at the height of the pandemic in particular, I started my I shifted my weekly game group to online just so we continue to play games and inter- sure. interact with each other. And the, the joy that I found from it that I didn't expect is that I could play games with people that aren't in St. Louis people right. around the world. And so we've continued doing that every other week on board game arena. And then on the weeks in between, we, I, I got back to hosting my weekly board game group. So that was a, I, I enjoyed that element of it. And they're usually faster. Like I, I love our two, two and a half, three hour game nights, but also sometimes I just want to play, you know, a 30 minute game and then go back to work or go back <laughs> to doing something else. And we can do that when we do it digitally. Uh, no, yeah. That makes a ton of sense. That makes a ton of sense. It's just, just for me, I'm involved in technology so much during the week. I think just the ability to be analog yeah. and now part of it is, you know, obviously my wife and I are the, the, we play the games the most occasionally we're able to convince one of our daughters if they're around to play, but uh, it's kind of gotten to be a ritual for us at the end of the day. Um, you know, nice. we've got the, I'm, I'm in a room that's got a board game table set up all the time on the other side of the screen that you can't see. <laughs> uh, and we, we generally will set, we'll pick a game on Sunday and we'll yeah. either play it or we'll learn it if it's new and then we'll leave it on the table all week. And that's kind of our gotten to be our ritual and it's kind of our end of the day kind of stuff. And then, um, then hopefully we, you know, we try to get out at the board game store occasionally and we'll meet a couple there and we'll try to teach them, uh, some games. And, and like, there's another couple at our store that's actually want to help us uh, get better at, um, scythe. And so, uh, they're going to kind of lead us and a few, another couple through that. So it's just kind of fun to do that as well. Yeah. So I mentioned the wall of shame, which in my instance is the board games that come in through Kickstarter or that I pick up for whatever reason that they're still shrink wrapped. Uh, Earth, as I mentioned, is one. I've got another one called uh, you know, Rebuilding Seattle, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any games like that on your shelf that you just haven't gotten to that you really want to, but it's just not, the time is not there? Yeah, I call it my shelf of opportunity. <laughs> there you go. Um, rather than <laughs> shelf of shame. Um, and right now I have Terracotta Army. On mm. it. Oh wow, um, that's been on there yep. for a little bit, and a bunch. And Gl- have you played Glenmore Two? I have. No, yes. I hear good things. I have that. Yeah, it's a great game. I love Glenmore Two. I have like the and Glenmore Two came with a, a ton of modules in it. Right. I haven't even made my way through all those modules because I I even love the base game enough. I backed somewhat regrettably. I backed the expansion that came with like another dozen modules. Yeah. That's on my shelf. I want to test out a few of them, but it's it's so it's so many different modules in one game. I don't know if I ever get to all of them. Yeah, and and yeah. it's hard to find people that are that are inter- interested in playing certain types of games. Uh, at least for me, yeah. maybe it's not so for you, just because of the the world in which you're in. But it's uh, sometimes you have a game that's just going to be thematically one way. For example, my wife is uh, does not like Root. Um, she's intimidated a little bit by it, so I have to go find other people that want to play Root. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sounds. Yeah. So, um, uh, James, I'm sorry, I don't want to step all over your Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I, had one, I, I like to ask these weird big questions. Um, it's yeah. kind of my, my role in this. Uh, I teach at a local university, and so I, I 
sort of live in that kind of world a little bit. Um, so we're, we're talking about playing games and play and, and things that are fun. Um, so what is it that you find fun uh, in games? What's fun to you about them? Um, is there fun? I mean, it's a job now. So is there still fun to be had there? Um, and just kind of because I've been watching a lot of your videos recently, is there is joy part of that? Because you talk about bringing joy to people. So do you think of joy and fun are kind of similar? So just throw that out there. And... Yes. Yeah. This is the type of question that I'm not very good at answering. And, and even in my videos, <laughs> it's okay, man. Talk about, through it. Like, <laughs> yeah. When uh, I'm talking about my favorite, my favorite mechanism, I often say the words like interesting and fun, but I'm not very good at like defining what I mean by that when I talk about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I have noticed at least one of the things I really like about games, a commonality among games that I really enjoy, and I think this is connected to what I find fun or satisfying or joyous is mm -hmm. and it, it's a somewhat, somewhat nebulous nebulous thing but when a game gives me an opportunity to feel clever um mm -hmm. which is you know games do this in so many different ways but when I, when I have that little moment of cleverness in the game whether the game led me to that moment or just left the door open for me to do something that felt clever to me uh that that feels really good to me. I I, I really like that. And oftentimes for me, that is an, an engine building game. When I've made a decision earlier in the game that pays off later in the game, either at the end of the game or repetitively throughout the game, that often makes me feel clever. So I, I gravitate towards games that have that sense of progression or that sense of engine building. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that makes sense for Stonemaier as well. Just seeing those kinds of things show up. Um, and is there? I mean, it seems like then following on on that, that fun is about that sort of limited interaction, but times when you do take your eyes off from your own player board and look up and see what other people are doing just to keep track of stuff. Yeah. And that, that is part of it. And I like to admire what other players have built. Yeah. I would say four games that give me the opportunity to do this. There's one other way that I definitely have fun in games and that's when I can be a little sneaky. <laughs> I like being a little sneaky. In games. I don't like being a little sneaky in real life, but in games, I, I like that opportunity. Dune Imperium has those opportunities to be a little yes. sneaky in combat or when you, whenever you play those intrigue cards, um, Libertalia, one of our games, has that opportunity to to hold over a character from early in the game and then save it and wait to play it until round three or the third voyage in the game. That makes me feel a little sneaky. In fact, the whole game about in Libertalia is feeling a little sneaky depending on what you play. Yeah, but I, I, yeah, I like those moments in games where you can feel a little sneaky. Not when I I don't want to hurt someone else directly, but when right. I can be sneaky to the table, that that feels good to me. Yeah, when other people say, "Oh my god, I can't believe," oh man, I did not see that coming. Those sort of moments. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Sounds like we're going to have to introduce him to Megan. The, we interviewed a, a lady who just wrote a book on uh, tabletop role-playing uh, therapy, and she said she learned a lot about herself by doing things that she wouldn't normally do in public. So maybe you need that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm think of like uh, Teen Win. I'm seeing his book right here. Games Agency as Art argues that, you know, games are a way for us to expand and think about agencies like they're a library of agencies that we can try stuff on and do something else. And they become an art of agency then. Um, and, and I think that's a, I, I like that more the longer that I think about it, you know, that uh -huh. I can be sneaky. I can decide, yeah, I'm really, I really want to bluff. No, as it turns out, that's not what I really like to do. Bluffing is not something I, yeah. So it's, yeah. Interesting stuff that way. Yeah. I like the games provide that kind of low stakes platform to try different aspects of your personality that maybe you haven't explored all that much. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and yeah, work like against that. it. Like this is how something yeah. I, I I never do this, and that's a uh, safe space for you to try to do that and see how it feels. Totally. Well, and you, uh, Jamie, talked about like 
And one of your pieces about, um, I thought maybe it'd be interesting to be an entrepreneur, right? 10 years, 10, 12 years ago when you were thinking about starting Stonemeyer. Um, and you went ahead and did it. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that was, that was a high stakes gamble at the yes. time. Although Kickstarter made it a little over stakes. The higher stake gamble was when I quit my full-time job and, and made this my full-time job. Um, I kind of tiptoed into it. But uh, yeah, yeah, that, that, that was uh, definitely, definitely fits into that, into that, uh, that example there. Yeah. Well, it, it really seems to be paying off. Obviously, I don't think we need to go back down that path, but I just love what you're doing. Like the vision, <laughs> the vision friendly cards that came out recently. Mm. That's mm -hmm. very exciting to see. That's, you know, you're kind of getting into the large print world, I guess. It's funny because we, my wife keeps a, a, a magnifying glass at the table for all the games that we play just to make sure that she knows what we're supposed to do. But, uh -huh. uh, but obviously the big next, the next big thing coming out of, of uh, Stonemeyer is uh, expeditions. And I know I, for one, <laughs> am waiting for it. I think we're about uh, less than a month away, perhaps. Uh, I know I got an email recently confirming the address. Um, mm -hmm. So are there, is there anything else on the horizon that you can talk about? Let's say, well, yeah. We, so Expeditions is next. That's for sure. We have, we continue, we, I still have a big pile of Rolling Realms promos that we are revealing. So the ones that we just released are um, Parks. Actually, we mentioned Parks today. We have a oh, Parks awesome. Love it. Uh, Skullcalo and Tricarian. And then we have huh. another three coming out at the same time as Gen Con in early August. So that'll be the next batch. And then we have one more big game coming out later this year that I can't quite talk about yet. It's actually on my, huh? it's on my, I made sure that it's off camera. Hopefully you can't see it. It's, it's <laughs> right next to me on the table here. I, I have uh, zeroed in. No, no, we can't see it. So, was yeah. that, so I see Fire Keep, More, Wild Crow, Lost Bone. Is it one of those? It's one of them. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, I gave you a plausible deniability there. No, I, yeah, yeah. I, no, that's great. I mean, it's just one of those things where uh, I have I, I have put you in the same uh, quadrant of my life as the Dave Matthews band. It doesn't matter what they've oh. put out. If the album's out, I'm buying it. Doesn't matter what game you put out, I'm I'm buying it. So that's that's just, quite an honor. That, that's worth a t-shirt, man. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Dave Matthews no. of board gaming. That's it. Well, he's got one. It's Chicken Pig. That was a Dave Matthews game. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, really. It's a friend. Of, from what I understand, it's a friend of Dave Matthews, and it's my understanding that he helped get it published. That is my uh, understanding. Okay. Someone told me that. I haven't fact checked that, <laughs> but I have heard that Chicken Pig is a Dave Matthews adjacent game. How's that? Okay, I'll, I'll leave it there. All right. Yeah. So, so that's pretty exciting. Well, uh, I know you, you, you promised us 30 minutes and from my, we're, we're pretty much at that point in time, uh, before we conclude, is there, uh, any last comment or question that you might have for us? Uh, I've, I've really enjoyed talking to you today. Um, I guess, you know, you asked me about what's on my shelf and you mentioned earth. Uh, is there anything else that's on your shelf of opportunity or wall of opportunity or wall of shame, if you want to call it that, that, uh, that you are really excited to get to the table or that, you know, is coming soon that you're excited about. Well, you know, well, it's, oh, go ahead, James. I'll let I was going to say, right in the other room, I'm going to walk out of this meeting. My daughter is here, and we're going to start playing uh, Flamecraft. So, oh, cool. Looking, nice. looking forward to beautiful game. Yeah, yeah. We, we love. It should be a lot of fun. Flamecraft and Dog Park last year were our versions of the the really exciting games. But it's interesting. I mm -hmm. I don't know if I have one on my um. Not, well, no, we've already sort of talked about it, but. One that I have played recently that was kind of in that vein was I got the um, the reprint of uh, the Castles of Mad King Ludwig, not the super large print, oh, yeah. but the but the big deluxe thing. And yeah. uh, my wife and I we kind of worked into that first with the base game and then added all the expansions, and so we we really got a lot of enjoyment out of that particular game. 
uh, although she was very frustrated that she could not build a room up next against the uh, the the the, um, the moat situation because uh, it messed with her score. So she, if we ever get anybody from Bezier Games on, she's probably going to want me to complain <laughs> about that. Uh, but no, that's <laughs> but that's kind of where we are. I, I was thinking I was going to get uh, rebuilding Seattle on the table next, but now I think we're going to move it over to Earth. I think that's uh, you've talked me into that. I think Earth is pretty easy to to learn too. Cool. So yeah. Yeah, hope you enjoy it. Well, Jamie, thank you so much uh, for being with us this afternoon and having just this uh, this conversation. Uh, we look forward to seeing what all that uh, Stonemeyer puts out in the future, and hopefully our paths will cross again. So we look forward to talking to you sometime in the future. Joe, James, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for your time today. I look forward to hearing more episodes of the podcast. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you so much. Boy, that was uh, a great interview. I don't was, know. Yeah, that was a, a yeah, that was just he was such a great guy to talk with, uh, really accessible, really forthcoming. Well, except for the teasers he wouldn't share with us. But, you know, well, you know, it's interesting, you know, because it was funny. I, I, I can't remember if I, um, you know, we talked a little bit. I hope we don't go all fanboy here. But uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's just really not, you know, he comes across in his videos and everything I've seen him in is, is just an extremely nice and polite person. And, and I think that's exactly what mm -hmm. we encountered and it's just nice to see here's this this uh, individual who is uh, a pioneer and a trailblazer in this industry and and just sort of has you know uh, uh, the right focus on things so i really enjoyed that interview and i hope we can have him back at some point in time if uh if we continue as we continue to grow this podcast yeah yeah no and i i mean he it was kind of fun because I'd watched and, and seen a bunch of his videos and it was just a different experience to interact with him one on sort of, well, two on one, whatever, yeah. uh, with that same background and all of the, it was like, oh, wow, hey, there you are doing the thing. Yeah. Well, but he, he was super, again, he was uh, really engaging and uh, I thought he had a, brought a lot of great energy to the to the interview that was and he was just a, just a super nice guy. And, you know, I think one of my favorite parts of it um, was when you and uh, Jamie connected the parallels between game publishing and book publishing and mm -hmm. the interaction that you have with a designer. And I think, you know, one of the things that we really easily lose sight of is that a board game is one of those that takes a village kind of moment to bring that to fruition because you need... Mm -hmm obviously the game designer to come up with the concept of what is the mechanic that is going to be intriguing enough to make the game interesting. And then how do you overlay the right kind of theme on that? And how do you find the right artist that really brings that theme to life and, and really, you know, sells it. I mean, you know, we, we've said many times that the, the legacy story with Elizabeth Hargraves is that she liked birds and she liked, uh, spreadsheets, but it's the the artists that made the cards such such an iconic thing that mm -hmm. really, you know, breathed additional life into that idea, which I think was just so interesting. And I thought, you know, his comment about uh, the artwork on the cover of Scythe, um, yes, you know, being as, slightly as, misleading. Yeah, yep. <laughs> I thought that was pretty interesting because yeah, you know, no, and that makes sense. And I, and I think it was interesting too that like what you were saying that uh, when he, when Hargrave first pitched Wingspan, it was just a sort of basic card game and they spent, it sounded like at least a year, maybe two even really, if you will, fluffing it up well, <laughs> as birds will do. Fluff, fluff, fluff. Yeah, but, but, to, I, but to make it a really as compelling a game as it is. And that's, you know, I was talking about 
the the way that that back and forth in in either in any kind of publishing is kind of a it's a long term relationship and the fact that she was open to that feedback and it felt like it was a really great relationship between the two of them back and forth back and forth to build the amazing game that it is no and that's that's fair and i think you know it's it's interesting too because when he was talking about that um i you know i i have tussie mussy which is one of her card games right and it is a really nice uh, a really nice card game. Um, but it kind of makes me wonder if that's kind of, obviously that's a pocket game. I don't think that's necessarily what sure. she had in mind with the birds, but it kind of makes me wonder, you know, how much mm-hmm. of Tussie Mussie may have come out of that, that early card game experience. So it just, you know, left you a lot. To, I was thinking about that too. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool. thought it was pretty cool. Um, okay. Well, that's, that's great. Well, hopefully we can, uh, have him back and, and folks, we have other uh, guests that we're reaching out to and uh, have tentative commitments on and we're not going to pre-announce them because, um, you know, things happen. People's schedules change and such. So we'll just keep uh, heading forward with uh, the hopefully these great stories. And uh, again, thanks uh, to Jamie Stegmeyer for coming on and, and uh, spending some time with us. We really enjoyed it. That was awesome. So let's get into news and notes. Uh, yes. I'm going to keep pushing this. Um, our good friends at Games for All Events, Richard Fortuna, is um, putting on Mythicon again, the North Car- the Charlotte, North Carolina Gaming Con, uh, this coming November 10th through the 12th in Charlotte, North Carolina, at the Hilton University in North Charlotte. So uh, okay. I want to keep that on everybody's radars. There's an opportunity to come and... Uh, play some games and meet some gamers. And I think he's got some special guests uh, that are going to be there and you can find all about it and register today. Badges are available oh. now for Mythicon Charlotte at gamesforalleventscom And as usual, it will be in the show notes below. So um, not a ton of news and notes for me this go around, but I did Want not it is want, summer. Yeah. Yes, it is. But I did not want the passing of June 10th to go by unrecognized. On June 10th, as what I understand, I think this article I have up here is actually a little bit before that, Warhammer 40K previewed the 10th edition guide and began to get some pre-rules out there. I don't think they have the, the full um, content out yet, but there's a lot of play testing going on. And I was in the friendly local right. game store this week and was talking to uh, um, a young man also named Rob uh, who is sort of the Warhammer aficionado and uh, mm-hmm. he's still trying to sort through the new rules and see how they play out. But, uh, you know, from what I can tell uh, and some of the conversations I had had with them previously, this is really designed to kind of create a little bit more accessibility to bring more folks into the game. So we'll see how that pans out. So that's what I had heard as well. So that's good to, I mean, you know, it'd be nice for them. Yeah, I I think so. And honestly, you know, obviously I'm, I'm, as we've talked about, that's really not a game that I have been necessarily into. And I, and I, and I kind of feel a little bit of a pull, but only because I read Hmm. about uh, Warhammer old world. And I don't know if you've heard about that, where it's going back to that legacy of the Calvary, the, the, the soldiers that you might have seen in the, the 19th century, early Napoleonic time frame um, that were the kind of uh, games that Gary Gygax and uh, those guys right. were playing up in uh, 
Lake Geneva, Wisconsin back in the early days. And I think that that to me uh, might be a little bit more interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm not as, as intrigued by the apocalyptic mech tech, you know, kind of stuff that, uh, that rolls into the, the current. I've had iteration. a student over the last couple of years who was a very much a Warhammer guy. So I got to get uh, doused. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just overwhelmed with it a bit. Sure, um, sure, sure. And it's, I mean, once you get into it, you're really into it. And because it's, you know, as somebody pointed out not too long ago, it's, it's kind of two hobbies in one, right? Yeah. There's a bit of war gaming and there's the miniatures and the painting of miniatures and the, the care and feeding of miniatures. Um, so you got two different things going and it looks super fun. If you want to just blow a bunch of stuff up. Um, and I know that there's more complicated that I don't want to seem like I'm reducing it to just explosions, but, um, that's like saying that D and D is fun. If you just want to be a murder hobo, that's murder hobos are good. Yeah. Um, okay, just but yeah. And, uh, so it's, it's interesting. I, one of the things he complained about uh, to me consistently over the last couple of years was that it is, there's a huge barrier to, barrier to entry. Just the rules themselves are just yeah. too big. And so hearing that they are, um, you know, cause it seems like it's a fun game. It should be a fun game. Yeah. Um, it should be a lot lighter. It seems like than it has evolved. So I'm interested in this reset too, to see what they see, what they do with that. Yeah. So I think it'll be, be a good thing. And, and obviously anything that brings new people into game stores, you know, we talked a little bit yeah. about that with Jamie about how, Wingspan was a was a theme that brought new people to game stores. Yep. And if there are other designers and other mechanisms out there to bring more people into the hobby, I'm, I mean, that's a great thing. So I'm all for it. I also love the idea that Wingspan was also going into other stores that weren't game stores, the wild, you know, the yeah. parks, uh, you know, the any, any place that had like wild animal stuff. They're like, Oh yeah, we want a board game. that has got, so that's, well, you that's know, it's funny area. you mentioned that. And I wish I had yeah. thought of this when we were talking to Jamie, but, um, there is a bird store near our Trader Joe's here in Charlotte off of Ray road. That is, uh, I, I don't remember the name, but they have like bird seed bird houses and all these kinds of different things. Sure. And, uh, we put it on their radar and they, they started carrying it in that store as well, just as a way to kind of Nice. You know, yeah, yeah, you should have mentioned that to him. He would have I yeah, completely, sent you a free T-shirt or something, man. You know, I, yeah, you were really lobbying hard for me to get that free T-shirt. <laughs> I, you know, and I, and you know I have like three Wingspan T-shirts in my closet. So That's right. Certainly yeah. I need more. You should have. Yeah, that, you, that was a bit of a good, uh, oh, well. I, I'm not, I'm not, at, we're not asking for free stuff. <laughs> now, if they, people send us free but stuff, you know, we, absolutely. Yeah, we're not we going to ask happy. for it. No, yeah. no, no, no. We cannot, we cannot be bought, but we can be manipulated. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think you've been, manip- you've this- I think you've been manipulated yeah. at least twice. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you've got, you've got this thing about Reddit here. Yeah. So, um, and I don't really know if this fits for our, 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 uh, the topic of our, our podcast, but you know, I was looking at this about 60 so or 6,000 plus, uh, Reddit communities have gone dark in protest. And I know some of those are gaming wow. communities. I use Reddit a lot, less less with games, more with uh, a lot of my IT stuff, but I definitely use it a lot in 3D uh, printing. There's a lot of great resources on Reddit uh, for 3D printing, particularly in the AnyCubic community, as well as in the Cura community, uh, Cura being a software, AnyCubic being a platform. Um, 
And I just thought it was interesting, you know, because this, you know, Reddit organization um, is basically trying to monetize uh, their APIs based on the number of interactions, as from what I understand. And, okay. and what that's basically doing is, is creating a cost prohibitive um, platform because, you know, somebody's Reddit, uh, the way that they're structured uh, with the API could have over 20,000 interactions going on. Uh, or more that just created an unsustainable business model for somebody who's like a single person uh, with some sort of a cottage industry with their Reddit or how they're interacting with Reddit. So anyway, it's become a thing. We'll see how Hmm. it uh, breaks down. Um, I just thought it was interesting because all these uh, Reddit platforms went dark for about 24 to 48 hours. And I did notice that that. one of them was uh, one that I typically frequent in the, the 3D printing space. So that, in my mind, made it newsworthy in a light week. Um, and we'll just sort of see how it goes. And I think it really comes down to the fact that a lot of free content out there is becoming unsustainable as being free mm-hmm. and, right. and ad revenues right now are just not exciting for, you know, a lot of these, uh, what I would consider socialist, social ish, not socialist, social ish no. channels. Um, mm-hmm. and so we're seeing, we're kind of seeing a reset there. And I think you're also seeing it with, you know, Disney pulling all that content off of Disney Plus and Hulu and different things. So I think there's going to be sort of a reset. And and for those of us, and I think this does impact the gaming community, you know, that rely on certain platforms to to get content and be better gamers. Uh, we'll just keep an eye on it, see how it impacts it. You know, for me, you know, the, one of the first places I go when I'm trying to figure out a new game is YouTube because somebody's typically hmm. put a video out on how to play it. it, whether it's Rodney Smith at Watch It Played or... Um, you know, the three-minute board games down from New Zealand, which I love those folks because uh, I love learning a game in three minutes because I want to get on the table and play. Sure. Anyway. Well, I mean, this is why I, I support. I've been uh, sending uh, BGG money since 2007. So, yeah. Yeah. And I started doing that this year because, quite honestly, I didn't yep. even know that you could until you pointed it out. So, Maybe, yes. maybe they need to put it above the fold. I don't know. I'm sure they, it's, it's probably right there in plain sight. It's, yeah, they, they do their it. big uh, push <laughs> at the end of the year. So, yeah. But yeah, yeah but no, yeah. it's important. It's important to, you know, a couple of bucks. That's why, you know, there are a few things that I, I support on Patreon for that very reason because I, yep. I use their services. I, I listen to stuff and I'm like, oh, I should back them on Patreon. This channel does not have a Patreon. I don't know if we ever will. If we ever get to a point where we felt like that was relevant, we probably would. Uh, but yep. you can buy us a cup of coffee if you go to layitonthetable.show. It's right there on the front of the website. Uh, if you're ever interested in buying James or I a cup of coffee. Um, be awesome. We don't have a lot of expenses with this uh, podcast, but there is one where that is the layitonthetable.show website. So uh, any help, we would I'd gladly help to defray that cost. Yeah. Anyway, moving on uh, away from the news, unless you have any news or notes. That nope, you I'm all good. Missed. Let's keep going. Let's jump into what is on the table. And so, James, let's start with you. Man, uh, let's see a couple of things. Um, just it's it's been a slightly slow, but a couple. But we've also had a gap. So uh, so Laura and I managed to play Furnace, which was a. Uh, happy little game from a year or so ago. It's still fairly new. Um, I need you to tell me about that game because I see ah. it in the game store. Yeah. And it's one of those, it's, you know, it's kind of like, how am I judging this book by this cover? Well, uh, no, it's a fantastic game. Uh, Sat down with Laura to play it. And 
she was like, oh, this, this, it just hit all of her, um, just hit all of the the notes quite well. And it was funny because when we were talking to Jamie and he was like, so what are some other tableau builders? I was like, uh, uh, but furnace would have been one. And it's a pretty simple tableau. You really just have a string of cards that you're, you're going to do. The thing that I really love about it is you've got, you've got this little, um, auction mechanism Mm -hmm. and you've got you know one through four little um cylinders that you're putting out there and there are some basic rules for you know you can't have two of the same number and you can't have two of your own number and and the first time you go into the auction you're like okay i don't know what i'm doing this is fine and then the second and third auctions you're like oh oh you bastard okay no no i want uh, and if you don't win the card you get the benefit that it has a sort of an action thing at the top and you get what it does if you win the card you don't get that like the resource that it gives you you get the action which is probably awesome but maybe you really just wanted the stuff at the top because that would feed the rest of your little engine except nobody outbids you so you don't get the resource you just get the card you're like i don't want the card so it's it has these lovely little tense moments of I want this, but I don't want it that much. And I want you to want it more, but you're not picking up that I want you to want it more. And um, and then it's this nice little tableau. And there's a mean version of it where you have to lay the cards out in exactly the order as you get them. And you can only then fire them off in the order that they are left to right. But we played the friendly basic game where you can you know rearrange them so you remember what you want to do in what order. And it's a nice nice little tableau and the two-player version of this with the auction works fantastically well there's a little dummy player that is actually quite frustrating which is perfect it's what you want um so super fun we had a great time playing we'll get that uh again soon uh yeah any uh, are there follow-up questions i no it sounds it sounds interesting like i said i've seen in the game store and i Mm -hmm. think the title kind of was like i don't know if you know sometimes just the title will cause you to or cause me anyway sure to pull it off the shelf and look a little closer to it and or closer at it rather and um and it just was one of those that, that the artwork did not draw me in i guess uh, and the, the, the artwork spoke to me i was like i love that sort of turn of the 20th century kind yeah, of look and so i think that was part of it i think that it just needed to i don't know draw me in a little differently um, perhaps I, I don't know. I, I, it just was one of those things that I was, uh, but now that I see it on your list, um, I will pay attention, uh, next yeah. time I take a closer look at it. Cause it's interesting. I, I was in the game store this week and there was a game that actually did, uh, attract me just by its look on the shelf and it's mm-hmm. called the Chronicles of Avel. Okay. The new adventure or new adventures, and it's uh, by Rebel Studios, which is the same publisher that brings us uh, Meadow and the Meadow expansion. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, so it's got that you know that Eastern European art and production <laughs> yeah. feel, which is a little bit different right now in the in the gaming space. And so um, it looks to be like a co-op, and um, I, I won't ah. get I won't get into that unless I pick it up or get an opportunity to whatever i'll put it into my intrigued list here um but uh but that's an example of something that does sort of attract my eye i guess is what i would say cool yeah no um that's awesome well and one of the interesting things about furnace is it's a it's in a fairly modest little box 
Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. there's, there's, a, there's a big game in a little box. And similarly, Oh My Goods, uh, which is a terrible name. <laughs> <laughs> and this goes back, man, I want to say 10 years, maybe 2015. Yeah. So eight. Uh, and it's this, it's a tiny little box. It's the size of a Colorado box or, um, uh, the mind or, uh, yeah. So something like that, right. Just a little sort of double deck card kind of box. Uh, and it is such a big game for such a small box. It is an absolutely astonishing little game, um, where you've got multi-use cards and you're, you're building a little, engine of sorts but it's it's not too complicated and you've got workers that you can assign but all the workers are cards as well and you can fire off you know a very limited number of buildings if they work out well you stack your cards up and pay them anyway um super interesting very compact really intriguing little tableau worker placement multi-use card kind of a game uh, it's the sort of game where you're thinking to yourself well should i keep this card and try to play it or should i just burn it and spend it as money for this other thing um and, and i love those moments where like i i can try to build this building or i can spend it as money to support this other building or to get this other thing and um so there's a lot of game in a very small box all just cards um, absolutely terrible title, <laughs> but, That's awesome. uh, and I, I think it. probably long out of print at this point, I'm guessing it's probably hard to get a hold of. No, no. Apparently you can go to Noble Knight or Card House and it is, um, well worth looking at. It's a super slick little game. Uh, and again, in a very small, it's one of those ones that if you're thinking, well, we're going to go to the beach and I can bring Cascadia and I can bring Wingspan and that's all, you know, those are good, but those are the two biggest, those are the two only big boxes that I can bring. So I'll bring, oh my goods, because there's a whole lot in a very small box. Or if you, or if you're traveling by air and you're like, I want to bring a couple of small, couple of games Oh my goods is going to have a lot of game again in that very box, very little box, and uh, you'll feel good. Like okay, we're alone in the hotel room. We're exa- we're it's the end of the day. Let's do this. It'll be good. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Uh, by the way, we're getting just a little bit of um, digital blur with your voice. Um, oh, okay. I don't know. It's more internet. I'm sure. We'll see if Probably. the uh, backup plan in the cloud is going to work for us, and I'll fix it in post. Uh, okay. No, that's that sounds really interesting. Uh, and, of course, I see you've got some other things on here that I wonder if they're on here because of the visitors that you have at your house. Well, Acropolis is a uh, newish game, and that's a nice little tile-laying game that also has a three-dimensional aspect to it, which is super fun. Um, and really, it feels a bit like Cascadia, but okay. with... Uh, three dimensions to it and then of course my uh, daughter is here thank you for the setup joe <laughs> and she's gonna start uh high school in september no. late august something like that and so high school drama is very much a throwback game here i mean you thought oh my goods was a while back this is why you have me on the show joe this is why we're here is uh, i've got yeah high school drama from 2006 wow uh, my life. Wait, wait 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 you you have a game that's older than your daughter uh-huh okay 
Oh man. Yeah. I also have a copy of go. So there's yeah, <laughs> yeah. welfare, but I, but yeah, no, it's more about high school drama. Yeah. What? I said, it's more about when you bought it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, well, and I bought it because it, when it came out, it was kind of pitched as there's an older game called Illuminati that builds these cards and you, you, you lay out your card tableau and you build these connections between the cards and then at some point you're trying to get rid of these connections for points. And Illuminati is based on conspiracy theory, paranoia. Uh, high school drama is built on clicks and paranoia. Conspiracy and, theory, theory and, and yeah, paranoia. Yeah. yeah. And so you, you know, you build up over the first couple of years and then you get a chance to burn your relationships uh, to get more signatures in your yearbook and then sail off into college. That's awesome. It is a super fun, silly, very silly. It has a notoriously bad uh, rule book, and you kind of have to make up uh, probably about a tenth of the rules yourself because it's just not clear. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Oh, that makes that sense. That was super fun. That tracks. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, it was, you know, 2006. Mm, I think rule book editing was not, had not reached a high point at that point. So, uh, yeah. but... Yeah. And then um, because Sky is leaving on day after tomorrow, we had an early Father's Day. And so Flamecraft uh, was an early Father's Day gift. And so we've played that now twice in two days. It is, as you know, Joe, a really nice Love kind of introductory, game. lightweight uh, worker placement um, game that's just delightful. The art, the puns. Um, it's a super cute and hilarious game to play. And there's a really nice game at the heart of it. Oh, yeah. It's a very generous game. There's a lot of worker placement that can feel pretty punishing. Like you don't get this, you don't get that bad things can happen. Flamecraft is like, no, have more, have more, have more. And it's, but it's still a lot of, there's a, it's more of a race feeling than of a tactic strategy kind of thing, but it's a super delightful game. Well, as you know, we, we had it at the beach last fall and, um, you know, fell in love with it then. And I think mm -hmm. that it was, you know, it was interesting because I think we were playing with a couple of uh, preteens because uh, we had my cousin, oh, yeah. my, my wife's cousin's children. You're a southerner. You can follow that. I was going to um, say, yeah. <laughs> So we're with us and uh, just watching, you know, playing with them. And I was like, oh, isn't this is a great kids game. And then we, the more we played, it, I was like, this is not just a kids game. Mm -mm. There is a lot to this. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, in fact, it was interesting. And it wasn't too long ago. I was in the, the game store. It was one of our normal painting weekends, but we decided we wanted to play games and they wanted to learn fl uh, Flamecraft. And I brought it in to play. And I realized that I hadn't played it in a while. And you know how sometimes uh, rules can elude you. Oh, yes. So it was kind of fun to just, number one, remind myself of the rules, but also get back engaged. And we had somebody in the store that I knew that also knew the game, and that was also very helpful. Yep. So anyway. And it's, I mean, and there are, I mean, we've just started the basic stuff. We haven't done the companions. We haven't done the gold um, enchantments. Right. Uh, but there's still, like, we had, we played yesterday. It was nice. It was fun. We were all pretty clustered together. And then... Over the, yes, uh, this morning, Laura and I were out running errands. We're like, okay, so, but, but what about more of the fancy dragons? What if you went for that? What if you went for more of like fewer of the coins and did? And so, yeah, there's a lot of 
stuff to think about and aim for. And yeah, this yeah. is a super fun little game and, but still pretty light. I mean, I think it's a, it's an easy one. And because it's so forgiving, it's a good one to set down in front of preteens, for instance. Yeah. And it's very accessible. And, it's, and, and like, mm -hmm. like wingspan, it's one of those games that I think um, it takes a motif that is typically you would find in the, the game store dragons mm -hmm. and it, and it kind of reimagines their purpose and yes. draws you in. And the artwork is so fantastic that it's very it, studio and, Ghibli. Yeah. And it makes it very uh, accessible to all the different age groups. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, cause I think we've talked about this previously, but for those who may have missed that episode, you know, the way that this game came about was the artist that do, does the dragons. Uh, she's a very well-known uh, artist in the game um, space and, and illustrations and such. Uh, I'm trying to see if I can pull up her name fast enough since I brought it up. Um, I'll, I'll take a look at that. Sandera Tang. Thank you. And mm -hmm. um, she was putting these little doodles on Instagram and the other designers, I think it's Manny. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Manny Vega. Uh, Manny Vega, saw yep. the, uh, saw the Instagram was like, Hey, you know, we should make a game. And, uh, it just sort of started there. And the whole concept started with, uh, what if dragons were helpful? Yeah. <laughs> and so I love that because it's that same kind of, uh, interaction between the artist and, uh, and the designer, which I thought was just fantastic. Oh, it's super cute. Yeah. That's great. Uh, whoops. Keep doing things that are going to mess up our, our little broadcast. For those of you who just watched James kind of go off kilter, uh, it's because uh, I'm pushing things on my Mac I shouldn't push. Okay. That's for those <laughs> of you who actually watch this as opposed to just listen. Um, so for me, it was pretty light uh, mm -hmm. since we've been together just because, you know, we tend to get something on the table and leave it. And right. we just keep coming back to it. And there's been a lot going on over the last months since we've been together nothing dramatic just stuff to do you know and um so i think we started with cascadia for a while um because that's, that's that was uh, you had just gotten through going through the marathon with it a couple of weeks and it reminded me that we haven't played it and and i think it's you know we kind of fall into this trap sometimes where um you know we want to play a game at the end of the day and we get into the i don't know what do you want to play i don't know what do you want to play you know right. back and forth and that doesn't really you know, lend itself to it. And so we've just kind of have to, to, to pull it off the shelf. So that was kind of a nice thing to kind of remind us, let's get Cascadia out. And we played it a few times and, and, um, you know, Dale wins a few, I win a few, and that's always nice. Um, and then, so we put that away and decided, man, uh, Laura is just the queen of Cascadia. And if I can take a game off of her of, in Cascadia, it's like, it is a, it is a, an incredible victory. I, I spend, I like watch her like a hawk trying to figure as it were, red tailed hawk, uh, watching like what she does and how she, yeah, imagines and sees that game. Yeah. So, so my strategy is always salmon. <laughs> I get more mileage out of salmon and, and, and uh, moose. The pro the plural of moose is moose. I believe that is correct. Yes. The, so I get a lot of mileage out of those. Uh, yep. I did get some mileage out of a few hawks, mm -hmm. um, but I well, always, and we she does amazing things with keeping terrain coherent. Yeah, and that's my weakness. 
Yeah, and mine as well. And she crushes me. So this is why I like follow her very carefully. Well, but you know, it seems like you had another. Um, well, before I go to that one. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Because you, you just no, it's all good. You just said something that reminded me. Ah. You know, the thing about Cascadia is I also think of we both have the game Fjords. Oh, yeah. And there's I think I think mm-hmm. Beth Sobel did both. Yes, I think work. that's correct. And uh, it's just amazing to me. You know, there are some similarities in terms of the tile placement. Uh, between yes. those two games, but it's always it's also interesting to me in Fjords how you can always put something together and it just works. Mm-hmm. You never have a tile that doesn't fit. And I think about the, you know, it's almost like a repeating pattern of wallpaper. It kind of makes you oh, wonder. It's, there's a lot of math. How yeah. Much, yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. I think that's true with Cascadia as well because although, you know, part of it is trying to get it to fit is one issue, but when you, you do have the ability to make it fit if you have a spot, unless you're just blatantly mm-hmm. being ridiculous. Um, but I will generally find, figure out, you know, um, which, which habitat or which, um, you know, environment I want to be the most prevalent. And I kind of go that route, yep. um, just because it makes sense. Um, but you know, sometimes it's just the luck of the tile. Oh, it is. Well, and, I have found uh, that if you neglect one, that sort of one point environment is a, is a very bad thing. Yeah. You still have to find a balance among. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, no, it's a, it's a, there's a lot of stuff in it, which reminds me uh, Cascadia of uh, uh, Cropolis feels like Cascadia in 3d. Cause you can build up. Okay. And it's very similar in the, Oh, this is simple. And then you get about two thirds of the way through your first game, and you're like, "This is not as simple as it seems." <laughs> and there's just a lot of fun stuff to explore and discover as you play it. So, I uh, really, yeah, Cascadia is fantastic. Well, the other game that we talked about was um, Big Surprise. I know, never heard of this. Wingspan. <laughs> yeah, so. You know, obviously, we knew we were going to be um, uh, to talking to Jamie, and right. uh, so I wanted to kind of have that that feel of the game and just refresher of you know what we loved about it. And so we actually pulled out the original edition. We took oh, all, nice. all the expansions out, and and you know that is still our favorite flavor of <laughs> Wingspan, I think. And um, well, I think one of the reasons is is that there's a lot of um, there's a lot more strategy to it because the the bird feeder giveth and the bird feeder taketh away in that environment. And it's, you know, it's, do you run to get the cards in the the forest so you can get access to the food or do you play some other strategies? And um, so Dale and I've played it a lot over the last week or so. And um, she's won a few and I've won a few. She won more, I think. Uh, she definitely won more in the beginning because it takes a yeah. minute to kind of get your legs back. But um, but it was interesting because, uh, you know, just playing that idea of I'm going to keep all five birds and just start with no food or uh, <laughs> I'm going to do this or yeah. that or anything. And so um, and we came up, we finally came up with a decent routine to figure out what the end of round goals are going to be. Okay. Uh, so we, it's always anyway, it was just a, a, a really nice experience to revisit the game and yeah. Um, 
you know, just sort of remember what, what we loved about it. And, uh, and you know, it's funny too, we've discovered that we, we play it relatively quickly. We can get it knocked oh, out yeah. a two player game in about less than an hour. And oh, yeah. um, given the way that it's lighter longer and we got stuff to do, that's been great. Yeah. I like, uh, I mean, yes, playing wingspan with Laura, we can definitely knock that down in 45 minutes or so or less. So, um, yeah. So let's, um, let's jump into, uh, Kickstarters and game founds and backed and intrigued or just picked up. Uh, you've got a few on here, my friend. Yeah, well, we had talked, I think, the last time you had noted uh, that Sansusi, uh, that I had talked about playing a couple of times, is uh, coming back out. Uh, right. Like, coming to the USA, it says, finally. I didn't know that it wasn't available in the U.S. because I bought it in the U.S. <laughs> years ago. But uh, they've got a new Kickstarter version of it. I think it's, I'm not going to Kickstart it because I have all of the things already. There's a wild boar expansion that I don't have, but I don't feel like my life is incomplete without it. So, mm-hmm. uh, but it is a fantastic little game. Uh, did win the Spiel des Jahres, and I recommend it as a very light, family-friendly, tile-laying, puzzly game. It's super fun. Um, but we all know that. The one that I saw come up at a couple of, well, uh, emails from uh, Board Game Geek is Ching Chan, the Legend of Immortals Killer. So the problem with Ching Chan is that it is not made for English speakers, and so there's a lot of translation that happens. The Legend of Immortals Killer, for instance, right there, ah. um, and all of the pieces. When you see the the images, all of the writing and all of everything is is in uh, Chinese. But what's amazing about this is that it's a book of, it's a set of pop-up books. Oh, wow. That become the combat stage for your immortal killers. And so as you pop open the books, they have some other pieces that you can put in, but mostly it's just different uh, terrains based on opening up this book and then playing your little standees out and you've got cards to play and this and that. Uh, but it is absolutely an astonishing uh, concept that I have never seen before. And I just thought it was worth, well worth uh, drawing attention to this extraordinary imagining of how to build 3d terrain with pop-up books that's so an, that's that was neat. super fun to see oh that's awesome that's awesome yeah well, well i only have a couple um i put the first one in here because we just went through uh memorial day oh right and, on and um company of heroes is uh, a board game based on a video game uh it's miniatures based it's kind of like warhammer in the sense that's a dice based game uh, there's a reprint that's out there on GameFound and Kickstarter right now. You can late pledge, and uh, that's really more of my awesome. interest because I was, as you know, I was a history major in college. Yes. Uh, World War II is one of the reasons uh, why I was a history major, and what I mean by that is oh. my dad's my dad served at the very tail end of World War II. In fact, he oh, wow. he joined the Navy the day in August that the Japanese surrendered. He always said wow. was, he always said it was because of him, but <laughs> uh, yeah. but he nice. still served at the tail end and went to Pearl Harbor and served in the Navy and and so growing up we were in, you know in, introduced to the Patton movie and a bunch of World War uh, War movies sure. from that era you know 
And so that was really what intrigued me and why I loved, you know, got into and loved risk as a kid. And so this, this one really speaks to me uh, in that regard. So I thought that was interesting. And that's, uh, it's kind of like a, a Warhammer esque kind of thing, but it's uh, world war two. And so you can play as the Americans, you can play as the Germans, you can play as the British, the Russians, and you know, a few other kinds of things. And it's, uh, you know, you can get, you can start small or go big and, uh, just looks really intriguing. Um, yes. So the, my friendly local game store in Pineville, Carolina Tabletop yes. Games, not a sponsor. Not a sponsor. <clears throat> I just like doing that. Um, has a new uh, in-store copy of Arc Nova that you can play if you want to go in and just play the game. The reason that cool. they have this uh, now on their shelf is I was in there last week and I saw this game I want to talk about, Blood and Plunder, Raise the Black. Mm-hmm. And it was on the top shelf. It's a big, it's a beefy game. It's a beefy box. And as I <laughs> okay. was taking it off the, as I was grabbing it off the top shelf to take a look at it, the Arc Nova on the end fell off under the floor and put a big gash in the front of it. And, um, you know, uh, I've, yes, I did it. Uh, it was not my <laughs> fault because I did not put the thing on the end. But anyway, so um, yeah, yeah. they ended up making it an in-store copy for people to play, which I'm excited about. I'm not excited That's about good. how it happened. But th- I, I, I'm just like I'm intrigued by the World War II thing. I'm also intrigued by pirates. Oh, yeah. And uh, I don't know if this is a game that I would want to get into too much, um, but it, it definitely is interesting to me. It's a, And evidently Blood and Plunder is a uh, well-known brand. This is just like the pirate version mm-hmm. of it. I don't know. Okay. Um, I had just seen this, and I kind of did a quick look around on it. But uh, anyway, I just wanted to say I'm intrigued. So I will leave it there. That looks super fun, yeah. And of course, I as, since we talked about it earlier, I put the Chronicles of Avell uh, in here uh, as awesome. well. Since we talked about it, so uh, picked up. I have Gloomhaven. Excellent. All right, I got a, sir. I got a story on this. Oh, good. So, well, I you know I told you guys a while back how I was able to get the Frosthaven, mm-hmm. and so I thought, well, I'm a bit of a completionist. You are, yeah. So I had bought a. Not a, as a. Sometimes Amazon will have, um, will resell something that is like new that somebody bought and decided they didn't want it. And they sent it back. Okay. Oh right. Yeah. So I bought it. Um, one of those that was like the top level. So I was like, okay, it should, everything should be there and all this good stuff. Right. And it showed up on my doorstep. Um, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. The night we last played D&D is actually when it ah, arrived. Okay. Um, and uh, it's like the gorillas everywhere in the shipping department had gotten a hold of the box and tossed it around. And <laughs> they they had put it in this box that was way too big for the box that was inside. It was oh, not tight. Yeah. And so I get this thing and it's it's you open it up and the inside box just like fillets open because the corners are shredded, you know? Ouch. And I was so disappointed and I was like, you know, I'm just going to return it and get another copy. Sure. Um, but, um, our, our friends at the smiley place, uh, said, you know what, just keep it. We'll refund your money and you can order another one or you can order something else. Cause I think they know how heavy it was and they didn't want to pay for shipping to come to mm-hmm. get back. That's fair too. Yep. So, um, every, the contents in it seem to be okay. All right. The board is trashed 
or the the box Ooh. is trashed rather the, the box, box is trashed, trashed yeah, yeah. um I, I may work on some tape or something to try to fix it. I did reach I have, out. I have I have experience on how to rebuild boxes. Okay, well we might. Need I to, can give you some tips. We might need to talk about that because yeah. I did reach out to the publisher and yeah. um, requested a, a a box that I would happily pay for. You know, right? But unfortunately, of all the spare parts that they have for that game, <laughs> boxes a box is not, is one, not one of them. So <laughs> anyway. Um, so I got, I, I got it basically for free. Oh, wow. Because well, they refunded my that's money. A, now, that's I, a hell of a price point. I mean, it's it beaten to hell, but still that's a great price point for Gloomhaven. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I, I'm leaving it in the box here until I kind of figure out how I want to unpack it all. I can, and I can give you again, um, I have, yeah. I've got some tape kind of holding it together that I don't think. Tape is, is not what you want to do. Um, there's a way to get uh, heavy uh, cardstock and glue it to the inside. Oh. Um, and I can talk you through that at some point. Uh, yeah. But it's, it pulls it together from the inside, which is kind of what you want. Yeah. And then a little more glue on, that, on the seams to give it a little outside stability. But, um, but I used to do, so I would get games at uh, like old uh, 3M and TSR stuff at um goodwill and so i made a little study of how to rebuild boxes that have been beaten to shit so yeah oh, noted okay well good yeah. to know well maybe we'll yep. do that and uh maybe we can do a video on it and you can teach us all how to do it how's that <laughs> there's um, actually videos out there too that i learned from as well but yeah, yeah. so i know we've gone like with by the time we get the with it with the interview with jamie we're going to be a little bit over time here but i will tell yep. you i did back a couple of things that are in the 3d print world i uh, saw that I, yeah i backed this uh one thing on kickstarter called the haunted mansion which was awesome. really inexpensive but it was one of those you, you get the 3d printed and it comes apart and it's great for a campaign or something that you might want to do and i'd like to use it with uh dm dave's badge quest i think that mm -hmm. would be a cool oh, right. one to do with one of those stories there and then, um, then I have also backed Ivory City on my mini factory, which is sort of like um, it's a platform for uh, 3D printing enthusiasts. And cool. so this is one of those where you get to basically uh, print out a walled castled city, you know. And I think that's that's intriguing to me. Also awesome, yeah. Yeah. So I backed that, and you know, 3D printing is really. Not nearly as expensive. Uh, backing them is not nearly as expensive as games, just because you're getting the STL files. I mean, obviously, it's it's expensive when you're printing them out. As I'm learning, right. printing out the uh, I, I don't know if I mentioned before, I'm printing out a Hero Quest 3D game board. Wow! So I have um, uh, there was a guy, uh, uh, Dr the Dragon Rest on uh, Patreon. And he's got mm -hmm. all the files and you just back him uh, at a, like it's like $10 backing and you can get access to his files and you can download these and print them out. And um, it's taking a lot of time. And I, and I have these little magnets that will go into the plastic so that you can pull the ball, the, you can interact the way you put it around, uh, how do you set up the floor and how you set up the walls. And because they're balls, they, the polarity just spins inside the plastic. Ah. And so you're not stuck one way or the other. And so it's Very really, cool. it's, it's a really interesting printing concept. So I thought, um, but that's also taking forever. It's like a day, uh, a plate. And so, wow. uh, yeah. And I, I'm taking a break right now. I've got, a, I've got a few more to get done, but I just needed a break. Uh, sure. 
So yeah, but that's um, that's all I got going on right now. That's um, all I got over here. All yeah. right. Well, looks like you've got a busy travel week ahead of you. We do. Yeah. Well, I hope all that goes well. And please tell Sky I said hello and look forward to I'll do it, man. seeing them back on D and D very soon. Uh, And so that here concludes another episode of Lay It on the Table. You, of course, can follow us at layitonthetable.show, where you can find us on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, And if one of those platforms just happens to be Apple Podcasts, feel free to head on over there and leave us a like or leave us a review and some stars or just five stars. You know, it's tell a good us, number of stars. Tell us what you liked about the show. Tell us what I got wrong, because I'm sure it's always me. Uh, we'd love to know <laughs> that, and we're always happy to be apologetic and uh, about that. And uh, as usual, you can find us at our guild at uh, Laying on the Table at Board Game Geek, where you can also yes. find a link to our podcast. And, of course, we are on the YouTube channel at Geek and Southern, uh, which is our the, the overall umbrella channel for what we do here at Laying on the Table dot show and as usual i am joe mahaffey and i am not bored i am board gaming and i'm james Englehart, hoping that all your uh pie breakers but i'm gonna just kill this because it's you like, want to do that again the, the, why don't the, you do the, that one the, more time the toddler was up early i think i'm james Englehart, hoping have. that all your all your tiebreakers break your way damn it <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome hey man That's what you get for having a toddler at your age. (laughs) Great. I'm going to get mail about being ageist. You're younger than me. All right. One, two, three, four. Bye, y'all.